So you're going to be a starving artist. Have you considered something more, you know, practical? How will you make money? Why not get an MBA instead? We've all heard it before. Your family's well-meaning pleas with you to ditch your art and find something practical to pursue in your career, whatever that means. During practical advice for impractical pursuits, students in MSU's Arts, Cultural Management, and Museum Studies program will explore stories from industry professionals across arts and culture, arming you with all the knowledge you need to not just make it, but thrive. Hi there, my name is Allie John. I'm a senior at MSU studying marketing with a minor in arts and cultural management. I am really excited to be sharing this episode of Practical Advice for Impractical Pursuits with you. I've brought on an amazing guest from MCC Theater in New York City. Um, she is the digital marketing manager there. Her name is Molly Barson and she is absolutely the best. She leads me in a conversation about the kind of marketing they do there and where the bulk of what we talk about comes from is actually video content and how we can continue implementing that in the arts. So with that, I'm going to go ahead and turn it over to our conversation. So picture this. It's the first time that Miss Cast from MCC Theater is a virtual event. You're so excited. You're watching it with your friend. And in between some of the performances, you see someone with your dream role pop up, basically. Um, marketing manager at MCC. And you reach out on LinkedIn because you've got her name. She's right there. And then 10 minutes later, she pings you back. And now we're sitting and recording this podcast together. So... I'm here with Molly Barson. Molly, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself? Hi, Allie. It's so great to be here. Um, my number one thing I have to say, first piece of advice, always be up on your LinkedIn profile. Always oh, answer yeah. people quickly. It's, <laughs> you never know what's going to happen. But hi, I'm Molly Barson. Uh, I'm the digital marketing manager at MCC Theater. I have been at MCC uh, total about four years. Um, I was previously the marketing manager at ShowScore. Uh, which was recently bought out by Today Tix. It was kind of the Rotten Tomatoes of theater, scoring, reviews, ticket purchases. I spent some time there in between some time at MCC. Prior to that, I was the marketing associate at MCC. And prior to MCC, I was uh, the tour marketing assistant at Paradigm Talent Agency, which was my first job out of college. Yes. So I imagine you've used a lot of different media channels in your time between all of those roles. Why don't you talk about uh, some of the different social medias, some of the different, you know, person-to-person -person mediums you've used, COVID aside, um, in marketing at any of your locations, and then at MCC, what you focus on. Yeah, sure. So of course, there's the big three, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, which you're going to use pretty much anywhere you go. Um, Instagram and Facebook have become like the juggernaut of, of advertising on, on social media. Um, I've, I haven't really played with Twitter advertising. Um, it's not nearly as effective just in terms of return on investment and all of that. And I've spent some time in Google ads and Google analytics. Um, the Google ad platform is really, really sophisticated and very, very cool. And they are the ones that build the ads where this place where you build the ads that follow you around the internet, the remarketing ads when you go on a website and then you go on a different website, suddenly you're getting an ad for the website you were just on. Um, they also, it, it's a very sophisticated platform. It's very, very cool. It is pretty expensive, but 
I've spent a lot of my career at nonprofits. And the cool thing about nonprofits is there's a program called Google Grant, where any nonprofit who wants it gets a free chunk of Google advertising money to use every single year. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. That's really cool. it's very cool. (laughs) Um, So that can be used for AdWords, uh, search engine optimization, and uh, Google Ads. So I've spent, I'm not an expert in Google Ads, but I've spent a little bit of time in the platform. And then e-blasts, email is still very, very effective. Um, I've worked with internal e-blasts from MCC. Um, when When I was at ShowScore, we did more advertising, you know, really, really heavy advertising style. Also done industry newsletters and B2B uh, style newsletters, which can be really effective in talking about your product and the ways that you can interact, not just buy this thing can be more of a relationship building tool. And one of the cool things that I've really always enjoyed about nonprofit theater is the way that companies work together to send e-blasts to each other's lists. So we'll frequently get emails or we'll send emails being like, hey, we, you're doing a show with an actress from a show that we just did. Can we get a spot in your email? Because it's a good cross promo. It's called, we call it cross promotion. And that's a really good way to reach just thousands and thousands of people that you wouldn't normally get to. Um, there's also a network of list exchanges basically amongst nonprofit theaters where if I have a show written by Hallie Pfeiffer, for example, who wrote Moscow, 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 which we did two years ago, she's done a ton of stuff at like Signature and Playwrights Horizons. I can go and request people who bought tickets to that show at Playwrights Horizons from Playwrights and they can say, yeah, you can have that list of people. Um, so there's a cool exchange there and they can request the same thing from me when they're doing a Hallie Pfeiffer show. Yeah. Using their network sounds like a really yeah. beneficial thing, especially if they've been at a lot of locations yeah. like that. Exactly, right? So you're guaranteed to be reaching people who were cared enough to purchase a ticket to something that that person has written or been in. So that's a huge, mm-hmm. that's very different than like someone who has like a secondary interest in something they might have been in on Facebook. It's much more targeted. Yeah, right. So that's a, a lot of the the digital platforms that I used. I also have worked with, of course, our press team, standard press releases and interviews and all of that kind of stuff. You can't ignore, you know, just standard earned media. I've done some work in direct mail and all of that, which is still very much in use in nonprofit theaters, not during the pandemic, but normally. Um, and, uh, <laughs> you know, building direct mail pieces and figuring out where you want to drop them, where you want to target them. I've been the intern running around the city, dropping direct mail pieces in <laughs> apartment buildings. I've done all of that. Um, and at MCC, we really hone in on... Um, Instagram and Facebook for advertising. We do have a Twitter account, we'll, we, which we use pretty frequently, but it's a lot more casual. We'll like, you know, live tweet miscast and things like that kind of stuff. Um, and we do a ton, a ton of email, email and e-blast. We work with our press team. We don't do as much direct mail. Um, and we have done some uh, lobby uh, displays where we will build like a social engagement piece in the lobby. So you, there's like a prompt on there for Natalie Portman's. We had some things about like, who was your favorite celebrity growing up or, you know, all of that kind of stuff. And we had paper where people could write and stick and take pictures and we would post it on social. So social activations and things that tie, everything ties back into digital marketing. We live in a digital world. For sure. And one of the cool people that I've gotten to work with at MCC and also have done some uh, consulting work with is uh, Yes Broadway, who does influencer marketing. Basically, influencer marketing is 
there's all of those people who you follow on Instagram or YouTube or TikTok who just are very, very good at creating content in their lane. Food, style, theater, uh, gaming, it's all over the place. And Sam kind of saw this gap in theater advertising where you know, products have figured this out. Every influencer in the world has a Casper mattress, right? So they, they send them, they send them a product, they talk about it, they get paid, they post about it, right? Sponsored content. The, the way that Sam has built his business model, and, and he's one of the only ones who I know is doing it in the theater space, is he basically found this gap between press and the advertising team. So on a commercial, on a Broadway show, you typically have it, the press shop and the advertising shop. And who is talking to celebrities? mostly the press shop, but who's talking to those people who aren't really celebrities, but aren't really going to get hit by the advertising team. So it leaves this gap to, to bring people and not just like your theater influencers, not like just like your Jen Teppers or your Casey Minx or, or, or your people like that. But Sam did this for Be More Chill, where he had like Twitch gamers who came to see it because it was totally right up their alley. And it's a very, Oh yeah. Right. And it's a very different world where we're, I've done, we've done straight sponsored content where we will literally give you a free ticket and $50 to guarantee that you post about it. Or it's just an exchange. We give you a free ticket and we give you the information. And if you like it, you can post about it. You know, in the off-Broadway world, we don't have as much freedom with, you know, backstage tours and like VIP rooms and things like Mm -hmm. that. But on Broadway, he's really cultivated this very kind of concierge experience, which is a very, very cool new kind of marketing. Yes. We had talked about this before and I was super interested in it. Um, Something in particular was talking about like the different size influencers and how that works. So like how do you optimize like both big audience influencers and smaller audience influencers to Yeah, you know, that's so interesting because we talk about them in like micro versus macro influencers. Like, um, Mm. and so (laughs) micro influencers are like... Ten to twenty k followers, which is still very many, um, and mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, more than me, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and they have good reach, but they're not like wildly dedicated following people who will buy anything that their following tells them to. So you really mix it up when when we talk to Sam and we brainstorm the kinds of people that we want. You mix it up because you're more likely to get a response from those micro-influencers, but their reach isn't as good. So if you're aiming to get 30 people, let's say we set aside a block of 30 tickets for influencers Mm -hmm. in pre-COVID times, uh, you're looking to get 30 people in the door. If you can get five like whales, like people who have hundreds of thousands, if not a million followers, and the rest are 25, you know, minnows and, and those kinds of things. And, and the, you still get a reach of like over three to five million potential people when they post about your right. show, which is insane, versus like trying to get 30 huge people, you're going to get a lot of no's and you're not going to get the same reach as kind of mixing it up. And also mixing it up, as I said, across genre like you don't just want theater influencers to tell their theater followers about the theater that doesn't really go outside your yeah, lane I, totally. it's we have this instagram account called food drunk they have hundreds of thousands of followers they come see all of our shows i <laughs> i don't know why but they love them and like sam has figured out that connection and that it works yeah Definitely, because their audience may be way different than yours, but if they see one time, like, they've gone to see each other, they're like, okay, maybe that's interesting. Like, maybe I'll check it out. So that audience that's untapped is definitely something to think about. Exactly. So 
I kind of want to switch over to the big topic I wanted to discuss with you. Um, You had talked a lot with me previously about how important video and moving content is um, on social and especially now in a COVID era. Um, But I want to hear a little bit about, first of all, before COVID, how you guys were utilizing video content and now how it's become even more important um, and you use it like on all of your platforms at this point. Yeah. So every, it used to be every like two years. And I'm like dating myself now because this is like back in my day when I started <laughs> in this industry in 2015. It used to be like every year or two years, Facebook would Facebook would change its priority. It would change mm-hmm. what was going to be king in the newsfeed. First, it was like links. Then it was images. Then it was events. And then it was video. And it's been video. Yeah. And it hasn't really moved off of that because Facebook has figured out that that's what people want to engage with. So. Mm-hmm. Pretty much now, anytime you want an, you run an ad, especially, it's the same thing in organic posts, but especially if you're running an ad, you want it to be moving. So when we're in the theater, we typically roll out, I would say four to six videos per production. And that can vary anywhere from teaser trailer, um, a cast interview, a press piece that was a video from Playbill or Broadway World or something like that, a behind the scenes video, a sizzle reel after opening night. All of this stuff is available to us because we're in the space with the actors. We can pull them out of rehearsal for a quick interview. Uh, we did, when we did uh, Seared with Raul Esparza, um, there was a working kitchen on stage and we took my iPhone <laughs> on a gimbal and went down and interviewed the girl who had been prepping all of the food and walked her through followed her through a typical day of prepping the food. And that's a video asset, right? Yes, Um, definitely. So they take a lot of time. I'm I'm not going to lie about that. And we're pretty, you know, we're a relatively high resourced organization, but they take a lot of time to make videos like that at that level. But in between all of that, you have GIFs, which is Every show is going to get filmed in some way or another for B-roll, for, you know, posterity or whatever. Go through and find the best moments and make gifts of them. There's all of these little things that just animate the key art. That's a big thing that we've been doing recently. Um, we just get the words to move, get the background to shift a little bit um, so that it just is moving content. In the COVID world, we have the benefit of all of our content is already video. Because everything that we're putting out (laughs) is on a video. So we can easily cut a trailer together. We can easily make GIFs. We can pull screenshots. We have all of this stuff. And it's much easier than like bringing in a professional videographer and getting their clips versus what we want to see versus whatever. It's all there. I can go Mm -hmm. on Vimeo and edit together a piece without any issue. Mm -hmm. But it also, it opens up the doors to so many other things because we're now competing with Amazon, Netflix, HBO Max, (laughs) movies. Yeah, you've launched into a whole thing you weren't even expecting. Exactly. We're competing on a totally different landscape and we're relatively high resource for a New York City nonprofit theater. We're not HBO. Um, So (laughs) HBO literally got people to watch an hour long video of ice melting to see when the next season of Game of Thrones would premiere. Like that was a crazy social (laughs) activation. We don't have that kind of time or that kind of resource. So, (laughs) but we do 
in order to gain ad space, because we are going after some of a piece of their audience, we need to have compelling, moving content. Yeah, that completely makes sense. I was most intrigued when you said you could incorporate that in even your e-blast. You had talked about a particular e-blast announcing your digital programming. Why don't you tell a little bit more about that? Yeah, so um, <laughs> this was this was kind of really cool. So. Uh, we recently kind of restructured our marketing department to incorporate our audience services department as well. And that brought a new director of marketing who is super, super creative and who I, I really, really enjoy working with. And she is not afraid of not using things that we made. So we had an e-blast announcing our digital season and the subject line was it's theater in your pajamas. And <laughs> At the top of the e-blast, it says MCC is bringing you a full season of virtual theater. And then it was a gif of SpongeBob and Patrick on the couch watching TV eating popcorn. <laughs> As it should be. As it should be. I'd open so, that email. Right. I'd read that. <laughs> so it's a recognizable commodity. It's funny. Mm-hmm. And it sets the tone of what we're talking about in the email. It's not just a picture of text that says like, watch theater online or it's not like an image from one of our virtual pieces which I'm sure would have done fine as well but it's something that people immediately recognize and can relate to and it sets the tone we've now implanted in your brain that engaging with our digital season is going to be as fun as Spongebob and Patrick in in their house eating popcorn which it is Um, (laughs) and theaters don't put a lot of gifts in their emails uh, and it's not that hard and it's so fun. And it I think it's partially because they feel like they have to make them. You don't. You can mm-hmm. use it's not you're not it's not an advertising thing that you're stealing somebody else's content. Gifts are fair use. You can totally use a SpongeBob GIF. And we've used in our giving we oh, we sent an email um before Thanksgiving just saying like, thank you for everything this year. Thank you for supporting us, blah, blah, blah. And we had a little dog gif where the dog like turns to look at the camera with the big puppy dog eyes and it just says thank you like it's not that hard and it like we didn't make that gif but it's just those little things that not only does it when you use it on social does it prioritize you in the advertising space but it also lets people relate to you and Mm -hmm. relate to you in a more conversational and friendly way than just the distance of an institution yeah I totally agree I think that was an excellent use of a, of a GIF in that <laughs> newsletter. Um, so where should smaller arts organizations start with video? What would that look like in someone who doesn't have maybe the reach or the bandwidth that you guys do at MCC? Yeah. So uh, two years ago now, I went to the Capacity Interactive Digital Arts Marketing Bootcamp, which I highly recommend if mm. um, if you're able to, you if you work for an arts organization, um, you can buy group tickets, you can go by yourself. Um, it is really, really cool and engaging two days just talking and hearing from other organizations about how they're doing arts marketing right now. And we had been kind of stuck in a rut of like, all video needs to be professional. We need to have a camera and a tripod and a white seamless and, and a microphone and everything. And we saw that presentation. We saw a presentation from the Cincinnati Orchestra, I think. Uh, and they made an entire season of videos on an iPhone. And like, it was 2018 and it was like an iPhone six. I'm not trying to be a snob, but like, that's impressive. <laughs> like I ha- I get the new iPhone every year. So I'm that person, but um, oh, yes. <laughs> like I watched, they made a video about her making the videos. And I was just like, 
this is literally someone running around Cincinnati with an iPhone 6, and these are incredible videos. Mm-hmm. And I think our, our executive director was at that conference with us, and he just wrote down in big capital letters, like, iPhone is everything, like, underline, underline, underline. And that gave us the freedom, just him even seeing that, that gave us the freedom to go back and make that seared video. A gimbal, you don't even need a gimbal, but a gimbal is like $100, and everybody has an iPhone. And it's not, you can edit it on iMovie if you don't even have Adobe. Like it's not, it's not lower the threshold for what you think video content is, is what I'm trying Mm. to say. Anything that moves is video content. Everybody has a wildly powerful camera camera in their pocket. Um, And we made that video. We made another video where we went down to the set and we wrote pull quotes um, that we had gotten in reviews on um, like check pads because it was a show that took place in a kitchen. And we had my colleague Christopher stand in front of the stove on the set, pretending to cook. And mm-hmm. we, had, we set my phone up on a tripod. And we had me take just my hand, take the check with a quote on it and put it up on the little check thing on the set. And we just filmed that and put cooking sounds behind it. That's a video. It's, that's, a, that's a whole video. <laughs> and that didn't cost us anything. It was stuff we yeah. already had on the set. We bought, uh, okay, we bought a check notepad. That was $3 off of Amazon. <laughs> cost us a little- A $3 something. video, <laughs> wow. So, and, and so lower the threshold for what you think video content mm-hmm. is. There is so much that can be done with just an iPhone and what you have around you, especially when we're back in person. Like just go mm-hmm. down to your set, grab someone, grab someone for an interview. It doesn't, it, it can be lo-fi. You can run, a, 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 you can get a lightning mic that you can plug into the bottom of your iPhone and run it on someone's lapel. That's like $10, yeah. $15 on Amazon. There's so much you can do with just with just the resources at your disposal. Definitely. It's a really good point. We could all be great videographers with just our phone. <laughs> so interesting to think about. Well, Molly, thank you so much for speaking with me today. I really appreciate every time you give your insights and thank you so much for the conversation on that video content. I know that's something a lot of people are working to integrate, especially right now. So thank you for joining me. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Anytime. Always happy to. This has been Practical Advice for Impractical Pursuits, a Michigan State University Arts, Cultural Management, and Museum Studies podcast. Thank you to our program director, K.F. Latham, and the Michigan State University College of Arts and Letters for supporting this project. The opinions expressed on this program do not reflect official entities of Michigan State University. To hear more episodes and learn how Michigan State is training future arts administrators to manage with compassion and care, visit artsmuseumsmanagement.cal.msu.edu forward slash podcast.